The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, hello, and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And David Panish. Hello. A name uh, I'm sure that's familiar to people in the Capitol because of your healthcare consulting experience and healthcare, working in the Senate for many, many years, and then for Covered California, and now for California Health Policy Strategies. Um, so, But we're not going to talk much about health today, I'm happy to say. We're going to be talking about music. It turns out Tim Foster and David Panish are both musicians and... I would call them uh, rock stars. They they don't like to hear that, but um, I like, David, I like to hear that. <laughs> and uh, what did you say I was again? Yeah, rock star. We'll there repeat that. Yeah. Uh, David's got a new album, Remedy Seven. Remedy Seven's the band. Okay. And then the name of the album is Everyday Remedies. Who else is in the band? So we've got a great band. Um, for for those in the Capital community, our drummer is Michael Miller, who I'm sure many people know. Hugh Bauer, who is the chief of staff for Assembly Member Kevin Mullen. Steve Suchel is our bass player and uh, rhythm guitar player. Steve uh, Suchel. Steve Suchel, yeah. Okay. He's uh, been in a number of bands. But he was the one I showed you on that YouTube, yeah. 1978 YouTube. The Steve, Suspects, I think. Steve, the Suspects. Yeah. Steve has been playing in bands for 50 years. Oh, my God. And uh, so he's like, he keeps us on track and and in tune. So you're telling me that at some point in his early career, I'm sure he was covering Sugar Sugar by the Archies to a crowd of teeny... <laughs> he might have been in that band. Yeah. I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, Neil Dabrowski is our incredible lead guitar player. And then we have two incredible, incredible female vocalists. We have uh, Sabrina Rossi. She works in the mental health world in, and is a clinician. And Lisa Soto, who... Uh, is an editor at one of the local TV stations. We have one more that just added, that we just added, um, uh, Nick Luisos, who is a uh, lobbyist for the California Association of Health Plans. And he also plays bass. And uh, so we have actually eight members of the band, but we call it Remedy 7 because on, on average there are seven of us. So as, as a person who's played bands in years, I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, splitting the pay eight ways means everyone basically gets gas money to get back for the gigs. <laughs> if I you're think lucky. It's, it's fair to say that people are doing this out of love and not for the money. And you even have a lobbyist in the band. I think that's incredible. We do. Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a registered lobbyist, too. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, you got two, two of So now lobby. the background, of course, John doesn't even mention, he mentions us, but John actually played music for years in Ireland, I think. Ireland, yes. A and name then, that will live in infamy, probably, if you've ever heard of it. And then didn't uh, you even play uh, in a band when you were in high school in Mexico? I did, yes. So, I can't remember. It's so long ago, I can't remember what the name was. But we is, were good. Let that me tell is you, the we saddest good. thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Influenced well, by the loose Duke Dukes. Yeah, the Duke Dukes, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, but what prompted, this is quite a stretch, it seems to me just, it, it seems going from being a healthcare specialist, and for many, many years, you're sort of the go-to guy on all things healthcare, whenever we were doing healthcare stories, he says, well, you got to talk to Panish, because he does all this stuff, to going into rock music. Well, it, you know, I always played uh, music, you know, I was one of the, like every, like a lot of people, uh, was, I was uh, required to take piano lessons as a kid yeah. and then uh, started playing guitar but um, you know I really never got into a band until recently and uh, 
it was actually through healthcare that that kind of prompted it um, in 2007, 2006, 2007, and then 2008, we were really working uh, night and day on trying to figure out a California approach for comprehensive health reform. So Governor Schwarzenegger was um, had a proposal and the legislature was working uh, very closely with him on trying to find our own California solution. Uh-huh. Um, and when that collapsed in 2008, as the economy was beginning to contract, you know, it, w- it was very hard time for me. And then my father passed away in 2008, and kind of went into a little bit of a uh, of a depression. And I thought, you know, I really need to do something constructive. And music was kind of a way out for me. So I started a band, pulled some people together, and. Um, couple of different iterations you know how it is with bands you find a group of people and then sometimes the, the, the doesn't the chemistry doesn't work out so then you start another configuration yeah. um, and so remedy seven is what emerged out of that and so we are some of us have been playing together now for almost for more than 10 years and the people the members of the band have day jobs they do have day jobs but as we're getting older uh, some of us are starting to retire <laughs> and finding other things to do too how would you describe the genre of music? Is there any way to tell someone what kind of music you do if you're trying to give them a it's, uh, capsule description? The Remedy 7, it's really uh, an eclectic mix. Um, you know, we, we do our share of classic uh, rock covers, mm-hmm. um, but we also do some country songs and uh, some kind of folk rock. So, and um, even a jazz song might uh, pop up from time to time. Oh, which jazz song? Which jazz song? Um, this one, this moon dance, moon dance, like moon dance. I don't know that one. Uh, the one of the day for a moon dance. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I guess I wouldn't even think of this jazz, but okay. Is that jazz? Well, maybe the jazz guys probably would say it's not jazz. Oh, well, <laughs> but it's jazzy. It's more of a rock. It's jazzy. It's more of a rock. Maybe a rock jazz. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. You know, I was talking with a. Um, Guy from Capital Public Radio, Joe Barr. This was, I think, last year. Um, we were just having a beer at the Fox and Goose, and uh, I said, you know, I really like the way you've changed your the format on the on the classic music, the classical music that you play. I, I listen to it every morning. It seems a lot more diverse than it was before. A lot more orchestras are participating. A lot more. Um, th- there's a greater variety. And he said, yeah, you know, um, we've changed it around. And you know you know what the average age is? People really like that. And he said, 68. <laughs> I was 68 at the time. I said, oh, my <laughs> Nailed God. Nailed it. I, f- I fit right into the demographic, you know. But I well, like rock, too. You well, know? I love the story. So you just recorded your new album. Uh, and you recorded it. Where, what was the name of the studio and the producer? So the, um, the, we, recover, re, we recorded it in uh, Del Paso Heights, a studio called Uprising Sound. And uh, the recording engineer is a guy named Michael Cox. And what was his description of when you asked him about the music? So the, the, the new album that we're releasing and, uh, is available on right now. You can download it on Spotify and iTunes and any of the major um, uh, streaming services. So this is really the first one that we've done that's just originals. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we played it for him, he, you know, he's a nice young guy. And, he, and I said, well, what do you think? Are we all going to be famous? And everyone will be listening to us for decades to come. And he says, oh, he says, you know, I really like your songs. They have a real nostalgic feel to them. 
And I thought, oh, well, that sounds good. And he says, you know, this is just the kind of music that my parents would like to listen to. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, well, we've, we've hit it now. So. Although I think, you know, the parent and up age is probably this, the market for buying CDs these days, I would suspect. It, it, it pro- yes. My daughter uh, said to me, um, uh, she says, well, you know, Dad, uh, you realize that no one actually buys CDs anymore. And uh, like, thanks, Jenny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I printed. I printed a thousand of them. So <laughs> yeah, you could have given her that. She could have given you that advice before you signed the order. But so how did you? How did you come up with the people in the band? Were these people that were they wanted to play in bands and wanted to do music too, or you just had talked with them? You know, in the past it, about it. Or? It's kind of like uh, dating. You know, you kind of put the word out there that you're looking for a drummer, or you're looking for a bass player, and you know. Um, People, you, you use your, your network of contacts and you find someone that you think is going to work. And so we've been really lucky and um, we've had, we have a really wonderful group. We're all, it's, it's sort of a, the Remedy 7 family. And uh, um, Now, is there, are you all on the same page musically or is there one person that's like, well, my heart is in speed metal, but I guess I'll play this folk rock. Or are you all kind of more, more together on what you want to do? I think there are some, um, we do have artistic differences. Uh, one, one member of the band would really like to do a lot more Grateful Dead, and another member of the band says, Over My Dead Body. <laughs> uh, we used to do uh, uh, Brown-Eyed Girl until uh, one of the members of the band said, I am not doing this song ever again. <laughs> And so we took we had to take it off the list, you know. I think everybody and Van Morrison is losing his royalties <laughs> yeah. check right now. I think so. He's uh, folding Gloria. It's the better song anyway. <laughs> so we try to find songs that not everybody does um, to so to have a little a little to be a little bit more unique. Mm-hmm. And the main thing is that we really emphasize the vocals. What we find is that audiences really appreciate having harmonies and and uh, a good, strong vocal sound, which is very different. Most rock bands don't do that at all. I don't know if it's your experience has been, yeah. but... Our experience, uh, our vocals are... I mean, I would like to concentrate on the vocals, but the other three guys are like, what vocals? Uh, so we, I mean, when we record, we kind of concentrate on it, but live, it's always a big mess, so... so, so and you do live gigs as well, so... We do. Uh, we're, we are doing... Um, uh, a gig uh, this coming Thursday. It's a fundraiser for Thursday. What's the date? Just so people know. So um, I don't know when this is going to run, but um, this we're doing it on March fifth at Old Ironsides Thursday night, and it's a benefit for the Greg Schmidt Scholarship Fund, which oh, yeah. is uh, or which is a um, a fund uh, that provides scholarships for um, the the kids of Senate staffers. This is organized through the. Um, the California uh, Association of Former Senate Staffers. And uh, it's a way of honoring our friend Greg Schmidt, who passed away a couple years ago. I remember uh, John Mockler. Oh, yeah. He, he played, he, he liked music. And I remember we'd go over to his house occasionally, a couple staffers and me, we'd just play music just to have fun. And his, uh, I think it was his partner, played the piano. Which wow. I thought was pretty I know, I cool. Did, too. I didn't yeah. know that about Mucker. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was a lot of fun. It was really, uh, it, would, it surprised me too. That's when I see you, you know, playing rock music. I, I always think of you as the capital healthcare consultant type, not a band playing. Same with Tim. During the day, 
he looks normal. You know, look at a corduroy jacket, the blue shirt, you know, but at night, I saw a tape of him bouncing around the stage in Spain, you know, so we know, you know, the secret's out, you know. <laughs> Everybody has to have an outlet, a cre- uh, another outlet, and, um, you know, to use a different side of their brain. So for me, yeah. I mean, and I think for you guys, it sounds yeah. like uh, music is, is that outlet. Is there any, um, any plan for another album? Well, um, I'm sure we'll have one, but we're excited to get this one out. There's a lot of, of, of good material in it, and we hope people will, uh, after they listen to this podcast, they'll go out and, and uh, do a search for Remedy 7. And, and so now you were talking about some of the songs on this, and what was interesting is that some of the songs which just sound like pop songs that you would not necessarily think would have anything to do with California public policy actually originated out of your experiences with California public policy. And do you want to talk about any of the songs and maybe the surprising origins that people wouldn't necessarily pick up on unless they knew the backstory? I mean, I would have, hearing the songs, I would have never connected what they're actually sometimes about. Well, there's one song on the album called The Background Check Blues. That was inspired by the work I was doing at Covered California um, on um, trying to move some legislation that was required for to uh, authorize Covered California to get background check authority for its staff. And uh, in, in my 30 years of working uh, in the legislature, this was by far the toughest bill I ever had mm-hmm. to deal with. And part of that was that we had to move it very, very quickly. And background check legislation is always a tough one, uh, but to do it was a, an urgency bill and to get everybody on board in a very, very quick period of time was definitely uh, one that gave me a lot of gray hair. What, um, the idea, though, is you needed to have background checks on people working for Covered California because they deal with sensitive right. private information as health information. Yeah, I never, I never forget when I was told that we had to have this legislation. Um, so this, it, I, I, this was back in um, 2013. And um, you, the, way that, the way that the Affordable Care Act rolled out is that we started going live in October of that year. So the Affordable Care Act eligibility kicks in in January 2014, but people started the computer systems and our call center and everything had to be up and running October 1st, 2013. So that you back into that and so the computer system and we know that many, uh, many states and the federal government had trouble with their computer system we also had to staff up to have a call center that could answer questions from the public when they were trying to. Mm-hmm. So all of those staff people had to be trained, and before you could train them, they had to pass a background check uh, because you know you're they're handling very sensitive information, and so there was a requirement for having authority for Covered California to do that, to to, did, to did do the cover- checks and to get information from the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm to process it. So 
Did you have people doing the back the background checks? I mean, the federal government will send people to someone's house, for example, or to a neighborhood, and it, it, was it that detailed? The the legislation basically just gave us the authority to do it, okay. but. You know, background check bills are always very controversial, and uh, we just did not have a lot of time because we had to get the authority, and then we had to um, uh, then start recruiting people so that we could train them so they could be um, ready to go by October 1st. And wow. that was enormous pressure. I mean, it was... Um, uh, but we got it done, and uh, we had a... Uh, a reasonably happy outcome. Where and years later, it inspired a song. <laughs> no, it inspired a song right then. Oh, right like, then. I said, oh, I got to write. So, it. do you wrote some of this material a long time ago, and it finally just now made it onto onto a format? So, uh, the songs on the album have probably been written over the last uh, five, six years. Mm -hmm. Most of them have been fairly recent, as I've had more, a little bit more time to uh, to spend on writing and. And then um, I have to say that the, the Remedy 7 um, musicians have really uh, been part of a collaborative process in refining them so that they're, they're um, worth listening to. Yeah, it's an interesting so. process as a songwriter. And some songs I, I work on, I walk right into band practice, I show the guys the chords, and it's done, and that's it. And then, you know, the other half of the songs, I have an idea, I have know the bridge chorus maybe a uh you know the versus bridge and chorus and then we will work on it for months and move things around and add parts and take them out and then the song will emerge after being woodshedded on for months and it's a very weird it's a very weird process and i don't think you could listen to the songs and go though that one just walked right in and this one actually was was built out do you do the melody first and then add lyrics or do you think of lyrics in your mind and then do melody to match it or if i if i write a song myself i will usually come up with the melody and then i'll match the lyrics but occasionally i do it but if we're if we're doing putting it all together i usually walk in with finished parts so i'll have a completely finished verse section and a completely finished bridge section and a completely finished chorus section and then occasionally i will also say okay so the drums have to be doing this which is a kind of a weird probably awkward for the drummer but um you know i'll hear a rhythmic component and it you know you want to respect everyone else's input but you also want to respect what your idea of this finished song should be so we walk a fine yeah. line there it's a, yeah. I don't know it's a inter really interesting process that's sort of unlike anything else you do although when we we do our John and I used to do that TV show and and it was interesting when you'd sit down with Carlos our guy who directed it and you'd say you know what we gotta come in quicker here and we have to move things around so it's sort of it's a similar process where you're respecting other people's creative input but you're also trying to keep it true to what you want yeah I mean as as the um the bill author, you know, you you get final say on what you want your the product to look like. But you know, people have lots of great ideas, and they say, well, you know, what if it sounded? What if it's? What if we did it like this? Or what if we added, um, you know, a, a chorus that sounds like this? Or here, you know, here's a, a a solo. You know, let's try that. And you know, it really works. It's. Um, and is there one person that generally takes more of the solos? I mean, do you have a soloist or is that just spread up among the members well um generally um the lead guitar gets the gets the solo and so, is that uh, so that'd be neil dabrowski right and he's a water policy guy right he is a water policy guy <laughs> yeah. he works for the uh uh the federal uh de 
Department of, the, it's the Federal Geologic Survey. So Chris Austin's ears just perked up right now <laughs> on this uh, podcast, so. Chris Austin does Maven's Notebook, a website. She tracks nothing but water, water uh, 24-7. Yeah. What she probably has them on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of feedback uh, do you get from the audiences when you appear live? Uh, do they have suggestions? Do they say they like stuff? Do they? Uh, what, what kind of uh, response do you get the, from typically? You know, the, the best praise you get is when you get people dancing. Yeah. And uh, that is the greatest high you can get is uh, when someone's dancing – and you can see they're really kind of getting into your music. That's the best thing there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get great feedback. I mean, uh, we're having our... Um, I'm glad you asked, but we're, <laughs> we're having our our uh, CD uh, release party at Old Ironsides on March 21st. So you are playing Old Ironsides two weeks apart? I'm afraid so, yeah. Wow, but but m- this one... Mark for, Gonzalez has loosened up on his booking <laughs> policies, I can tell you that. Uh <laughs> It's Saturday night. Uh, it's seven to nine, and um, we hope people will come out and we'll be playing a lot of our originals and and some covers too. What, what's the demographic on your on your uh, your fans, your audience? Do you think? Well, let's put it this way: um, most of the people who come uh, like would prefer to come to the early <laughs> session at Old Ironsides. Uh, there'll be another band there that starts about nine thirty. Right, and we're all asleep by then. So. <laughs> So, uh, what's your favorite band? What got you really got you into music? Well, I mean, I I uh, came of age in you know in the sixties and seventies, so um, you know it's hard to hard to beat the Beatles. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's amazing to me that fifty years later, uh, you've had you have two generations removed from them, and uh, there's still the the best band that people listen to. They still have that kind of staying mm-hmm. power, and I think they will for um you know 50 years from now with us uh, uh with my wife and i i was i was a beatles and then stones because later my wife she was a stones person she liked the stones more than the beatles and yet she was the first one i knew that actually had in this was in 63 a track that they released in the u.s i'd never heard of until after they became well known in 64 but they had actually sold music in 63 in the u.s i had no idea yeah heard it. I think Tolly Records. Love Me Do, I think, yeah. was one that was early. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I thought, wow, that's, you know, and she was into that. So it was pretty, it was a lot of fun. And all credit to your wife, she also really liked early Ike and Tina Turner. She did. Hardly gets better than 1964 early yeah. uh, Ike and Tina Turner. Yeah. In fact, we still got the album that uh, she used to uh, dance around the living room ex- exercising to when she was a kid. It was I think it was 61. 61 or 62, it's just, it was, it's funny. And that's still around. I still listen to that every morning because she's got this compilation with that and a bunch of other older music and, you know, so definitely I would be out of your, out of the Ironsides by 9.30, I think, too. I'd probably be home, you know. Um, so have you learned any lessons from doing music as opposed to doing healthcare policy? Any, uh, any deep uh, insights here or knowledge from doing this? Other than having fun, which of course is what it's all about anyway, so. Well, we have, um, when uh, I I was thinking about uh, leaving the state, leaving Covered California uh, back in 2015, you know, I really started to think about what I wanted to do next. And uh, it it inspired one of the songs on the album called Every Day. And the theme of Every Day, the chorus is, uh, you have to make the most of every day and every day will pull you through. And I think... 
And now I'm of an age where you really realize how little time we all are here on this planet. And um, you really do need to make the most of every day. So that's, um, that's sort of been my motto mm-hmm. going forward. And, uh, you know, we try to, to have the most impact uh, we can both on a, on at the policy level, you know, um, uh, but also um, having fun and enjoying life uh, to the to the the fullest. Mm-hmm. David Panish, thank you very much. Thanks for being with us, Tim Foster. Thank you. Thank you. And this is John Howard saying thank you very much, and we will catch you next time around. Thanks, David. Thanks. Thank you.